Tonight's message is, is entitled, Pilate's Question in Today's World. See, one of the, uh, the greatest leaders in, in football history is Vince Lombardi. He was the coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 60s, and he went on to win five championships in seven years, and he won two of the first Super Bowls ever played. But one of his greatest moments was in 1961, the Packers had gathered together as a team. The, the year before that, they were crushed in, in the uh, national championship game to the Eagles. And they began the next season as the second team, which was not the first team, obviously. <laughs> and he gathered them together on the first day of the camp of the following season. And Vince Lombardi was known as getting back to the basics, always making a clean slate, so to speak. And he is noted for saying, grabbing the pigskin and saying, gentlemen, this is the football. And you can imagine these people are the pro of pros. These are the greatest players at that time. And he is saying, this is the football. Getting back to the basics. And no, no doubt, it, they could have taken it as being demeaning or saying, man, we know what a football is. We, we've come from college. We're the greatest of the greatest. And here you are patronizing us with the fact of a football. But remember this, the following season, which is the season that I'm talking about, six months later, they would go on to win and beat the Giants 37 to nothing in the NFL championship. Sometimes... It's good to get back to the basics, amen? So I stand before you and I tell you, this is your Bible. And this has absolute 100% the accurate living word of God. Every word of it is absolutely 100% true. There is not one falsehood, not one sentence that is not correct in the living word of God. In a time of weariness and people wondering what is truth and an open deception that reigns in this world. And when prayers seem to go unanswered and weariness wants to creep in. When you are praying and you don't see situations changing in your life or you don't see a, a, an outcome coming about as, as you would desire it to, you can get weary. And I can tell you, in times of weariness, this book can be your pillow. You can lay your head on this truth and believe that God is going to work it out according to his great glorious will and power. And you and I get to walk in the grace of God. So don't get sidetracked on a prayer list. Center your thoughts back on the word of God and build your life on the word of God. And everything you do, check it by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, the American Bible Society reports that the majority of Americans believe the Bible and have the Bible in high regard. Two-thirds of Americans believe that the Bible has everything a person needs to live a meaningful life. 61% express a desire to read it more often. Lifeway reports that 19% of church-going Christians read the Bible daily. 25% read the Bible a few times a week. And 40% read it once a month, fewer or not at all. See, the sad part of this is we're in a generation where the Bible still works. Many are just illiterate to the Bible. It's not that the Bible is not true. It is true. It has always been true. It's just our Bible illiteracy that plagues us because we don't know what to believe. So anything that comes off the TV or anything that comes out of a, a, a desk at school, 
you begin to apply that and believe that or what you see from Hollywood. And many people will build their foundation on that. But reading the Bible will refocus your thoughts back on the truth. Listen, there is coming a better day. I can promise you that. Don't be defined by the things that are not going in your, right in your life. You might be in a, in a desert time. That desert time is designed to make you and I thirsty. When we look at the mirage of things that we see that we want to go and grab a hold of, they're simply mirages of not living water, but false water. We'll, we'll, we'll go to things and drink that down like water and it will leave us empty. Do you believe that the Bible is 100% the Word of God? And I'm not talking about the, the just as every, you know, 60% of Americans. I'm talking about a true Bible-believing Christian. I'm talking about a believer that says, I know the Bible is true. And if that is so, why are we not reading it? See, if you believe that the Bible is 100% the Word of God, you will not be tossed to and fro because you will always have an anchor. You will always have a plumb line to go back to. And I'm talking to the weary you, not the Sunday morning or the Wednesday night you. I'm talking about the Tuesday night you and me when we struggle when it doesn't look like it's playing out, when we begin to wonder, when we begin to weep because we're not seeing anything happen, do you still believe? And on top of that, you have these voices preaching truth, their truth. And it's almost like you're marginalized as complete idiots. But we are not idiots. We have the truth. And this truth will last long after this world burns with fire. Amen? I've been preaching this to myself, so I'm, <laughs> that's just kind of where this is coming from. Many say that, that we live in a post-Christian era or even a post-truth era. And society has replaced it with subjective truth. I hear it all the time, and you probably do too. People say, my truth is, and then they say what they believe. There's isms that, that are in people's vocabulary now. And really, it's like, you know, beating uh, a gnat against a granite block. It makes absolutely no sense to believe something that is absolutely false when it's against the word of God. Look at this positivism. It says what we confess is truth. Secularism, the world is truth. Existentialism, self-determination is truth. Heathenism, if it feels good, it's truth. And there's skepticism, nobody knows the truth. Mysticism, intuition is truth. Relativism, if it's relative to your situation, then it's truth. And then there's pluralism. Everybody has a piece of the truth. And then there's humanism, that man is truth. And then there's pragmatism, and it's whatever works is truth. And then you have universalism. Everybody's going to heaven. That's farthest from the truth. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And to form your own truth or your own version of the truth is to reject the truth. That's where the line needs to be drawn in the sand. There is a truth. And I want to talk about some characteristics of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, definite article. You know what that is saying? That Jesus is saying, I have the market cornered on truth. There is no truth outside of what I say. That's what Jesus was saying. John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We're living in dark days. The Bible said that would happen. But all we need to do is pick our light up higher. Anytime you have a small amount of light, it completely devastates the darkest of dark nights. And that's what Jesus has called us to be. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is grace and truth. You see, when we look in the Old Testament, there's truth. But if that alone was the truth, no one could stand. But we have grace and truth, which is Jesus fulfilling that truth on our behalf, which makes us truth keepers. See, on the treadmill of life, we go through seasons of uncertainty, lukewarm thinking, right? Blow after blow, frustration after frustration, struggles, depression. How many of you are plagued with depression? Of I know what that's like, to be depressed, to not want to get up, to literally pull yourself out of bed. But I'm here to tell you, truth the, the truth of the word of God will pull you up because you know that hope is coming. Hope is coming. In this moment, don't focus on what you don't know. Focus on what you do know. Don't focus on what is happening. Focus on what the word of God says can happen. Because if you stew in disappointment long enough, the seeds of doubt will grow in the soil of discouragement. And it will be fertilized with time, experience, and weariness. And if you sit in that long enough, you will drown in defeat. The spirit of Pilate is thundering through the airwaves today, through the schools today, of what is truth. Here's the problem, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, listen to this part, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, the problem is not the truth. The problem is the deadening of the conscience that pushes the truth down. God does not have to defend himself. As one has said, all you have to do is let a lion out of the cage and it will defend itself. The word of God can stand on its own. It doesn't need, even need us to proclaim it. His word will be here long before, long after we're gone. The Bible says that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. When people reject truth individually, unrighteousness spreads like a cancer. And if you think about this, when schools get infected, it shortens the lifespan of the generations. And when leadership gets infected, it restrains the blood flow of oxygen of truth. So the truth is powerful just as it's always been. Notice today, many will not even say that a certain act is wrong. They will look at you and say that you are foolish if you talk about truth. They will defend random acts of violence. They will let you know that this person did this because of this. And if you say, no, it's a sin problem, you're the one they're going to crucify. The question is, what is truth? Let's look at the conversation. In John 18, 33 through 38, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your nation and your chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But that my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said, so you're a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. 
And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? In other words, he's not asking this from a question point of view. He's basically mocking him and saying, what is truth? So Jesus is standing before Pilate. And he, within an eight-hour period, is subjected to kangaroo trials, three from the Sanhedrin, one with Pilate, back to to Herod, then back to Pilate. The Sanhedrin had no ability to have death presented on Jesus. They couldn't just kill him. They had to bring him to the Roman authorities. It's kind of like today. Religious law cannot overtake civil law. So it's the same way back then. So they had to bring Jesus before Rome and, and say, we need, we need to have this guy executed. It's ironic when you read in Luke 23, 12, it says, Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been in enmity with, with each other. Now, when you look at this situation, it's ironic how people will get together against the truth. But I don't mean to meddle, but sometimes it's hard for the church to come together under truth. Like they came together in their hatred for Jesus or their dislike for Jesus or disbelief. But we can't come together for the love of Jesus. Jesus said he is truth. He is the way. Paul said in 2 Corinthians and Romans that Jesus is the truth. The word truth means the reality. It means firm, solid. It is really to say it is what it really is. See, we we believe more in everything that we see, but the reality is the truth is still what we cannot see. I'm going to give you quickly some characteristics. Number one, truth is divine. Truth originated from God, not from man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Truth came from outside of this world. You see? Then Jesus, like we read earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the Holy Spirit is called the, the, the Spirit of truth. So what truth is, is God revealing himself to us. And God is truth. In other words, truth came from the realm outside of this world, so nobody in this world can dictate what the truth is because it didn't come from us. God says what is right and wrong. God says what is sin and what is not sin. God says what marriage is. God says what the church is. God says what the family is. Right? God alone determines these things. God says what eternity is. We can't say, well, I believe I'll go back to the ground. And we can't say that. How foolish do we sound anyway? I I mean, I'm safe in the church, right? (laughs) In other words, God himself is the author of truth. Everything that God is, is truth. God is outside of time, so time cannot grab hold of the truth and change it. God is beyond culture, so culture cannot wave its fist at God and tell God what is truth. God is truth. Number two, truth is the authority. God has the first say and the final say on what truth is. Meaning he knew everything in the beginning and he chooses how it's going to wrap up in the end. You see, we see things like Russia and Iran and Turkey. And I hope you've seen on the news that they have come together ready to go against Israel. Showing you that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is on the horizon. But God, that has not gotten God off kilter. He's not in, in heaven saying, oh man, I didn't realize they were getting together. No, long before these people ever existed on the world stage, God said, this is going to happen. And when it comes time, I'm going to crush you to face powder for coming against my children, Israel. Truth 
truth boxes out philosophy. Truth discriminates against falsehoods every time, everywhere. It does not matter who claims it to be true. So we need to understand that truth is truth. And it comes from God and you can have full assurance that you are believing the truth when you believe the word of God. Truth is never this and that. It is just truth. I want to bear down on this, if you don't mind. Because I'm telling you, there's a shakenness that's going around. And there's so many things that are being said or believed and people are going in the ditch saying, I don't know if I believe this and I don't believe that. And, and next thing you know, people are dying with these false belief, system, belief systems and people are singing when we all get to heaven and not everybody's going. And when you, when you stare death in the face, you realize that this is real. When you stand beside a loved one and their, their loved one is breathing their last breath, no one is, is asking for all these things to come behind them. They're, they're asking one question. Are you right with God? So now's the time to know what you believe. Anything that is false comes from the father of lies, which is Satan. Number three, God's word is defined. It's truth. God tells us what to believe. It's, it's white and black and sometimes red, depending on if you have the red letter edition. God's word is true in every language. And God's word is true even when we don't understand it. Which is good. Because there's things we don't understand and yet the Lord still blesses us with even in our non-understanding. See, it's not changed on feelings and experience. That's good news. Sometimes we don't feel right. We wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we say, man, there's no way I'm saved. But the truth of God is if your faith is in Christ, you can look in the mirror, be as ugly as you want, and still know you're going on the way to heaven. The good news is we can take our experiences, our troubles, and lay them on the word of God. And expect the word of God to speak to them and not take our experience and judge the word of God with it. It's the opposite. God loves you. It's not based on if you feel loved by God. It's a fact. It's the truth. So you see, this is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. If you are born again and you are, you are righteous before God, righteous as you, as you will ever be justified. God cannot love you any more than he already does, and he can't love you any less because God is perfect. His perfect love casts out all fear. So you are not going to grow in God's love for you. Like, God's not saying, oh, I love you more now. No, God loves you with an unwavering, unfathomable love that you and I get to experience not just when we're good and we came to church on Sunday, Wednesday in a life group, went on a mission trip, served day, went through next steps, baptism, communion. Nope. Even when you can't get out of bed because you're depressed because the truth of God is not getting on the inside of us. And I'm speaking to myself. You and I have the ability to wake up no matter how we feel and know that God is in heaven saying, good morning. I love you. Amen. And you get to experience joy and peace, no matter if it's a good time, a bad time. You can experience God's grace when you, when you think you measured up and when you know you didn't. It's our job to fight the fight of faith. We walk in power, in might, regardless of how we feel, because we're fighting the fight of faith, which means I'm right with God because what Christ did. And if you ever keep that before you, you will walk from glory to glory to glory. It is not based on what we do. Sanctification, we talk about this all the time because that's the issue that we struggle with. I'm right with God because I did this and that. No, I'm right with God because Jesus died on the cross. My faith is in what he did. And he's declared me righteous in heaven in the book of life. 
Then we come over here and we start to do good things and we start to judge, well, I must really be loved by God now because look at this, I'm doing this and that. But the problem is if you, if you base it on that, when you don't do something good, you're going to fall by the wayside as well. His, his love and his grace doesn't change towards you. Right? Number four, truth is unique. There's no truth like our truth. We're not begging God. We're not beating on the doors. We're not having to kill people to be right with God. Amen? We're not doing any of that. We're not having to, to mutilate ourselves or hurt ourselves. We're not having to do things to get to God. God has made a way to come to us. And it's through the death of Jesus Christ that he initiated. You got to remember, we blew it. God could have said, I'm done. I, I gave you all a shot. But he made a way where there seemed to be no way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in our place. See, sometimes we think like, well, it's to God's benefit that I'm saved. Hey, God, write my name in the book. I'm, I'm deciding to give my life to you. That's not how it works. The very fact that God has drawn you is grace. We don't get to just, you know, like we sit in the pew like, well, I think I'm going to give my life to the Lord. We'll see how it goes. And No, that's not how it works. God has already sought you, and you're responding to him pulling and tugging on your heart. So which means he took the first step. And unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So the fact that, that your eyes begin to open to the word of God is his grace saying, I want you to see who I am. And the more you get to know him, the more you are on your journey down the narrow way that came through the, ga- the narrow gate. <laughs> Jesus does not separate himself from the truth. John 18, 37 says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So you can't believe some of the Bible. You can't read the Bible as a fortune cookie and, and use it as some, some good Instagram quote and yet not believe in Jesus. It does no good. It does absolutely no good. You cannot separate Jesus from the word of God. If you believe the word of God and you do not believe that Jesus died for you, that you're unrighteous in and of yourself, then you don't believe the word of God. It, they work hand in hand. You cannot separate them. There's people that believe, well, I believe the Bible. It's a good book and this and that. But Jesus was just, you know, a prophet. No, you're a liar. The Bible calls you a liar. Jesus is love and grace and power and might and truth. And when you accept that, it doesn't matter if you have a bunch of Bible knowledge. You are in the truth. You get to start reading and the word of God begins to open up to you. And you begin to understand it. You know, you can read any good book, any philosophy book. It won't change your life. You can get up here and tell all kinds of stories. It's the word of God that's going to change your circumstance. Not an experience. Not just some, some thing that was read outside of the word of God. I mean, those things will fuel this. But if somebody just got up here and told story after story after story after story and didn't give you the living word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword that is able to divide the, moan, the bone from the marrow, you're really just sitting here wasting your time in another philosophy class. But we have the living word of God and the truth. I want to encourage you when you leave here, Drink this book down like water. You know, I really feel like the only thing I think God wants me to do is to make you thirsty. To throw some salt on your tongue and say, I want to read the Bible. And I'm fine if that is the only thing God calls me to do. Because if you can get in the book, right, the book will get in you. You believe that. One, you know, it's one truth as well. If you pull the, the, a thread in Genesis, the paper will wrinkle in Revelation. It's one complete truth. That means there's no different parts of the truth. It's all telling one story thousands of years apart by different writers who did not even know each other. And they are saying basically the same thing in different levels of one truth. That's amazing. You, we can't even do that in a, in, in a book. 
We can't even do that in a school book. Things are changing. I heard one that was saying that he was a lawyer and he was studying law. And he said, man, as soon as I passed the test, the law would change. He said, but now that he's a, a, a Bible-believing Christian and a pastor and serving God, he knows that when he buries his face in the book, it's not going to change. Which brings us to number five. Truth is unchangeable. God does not change. Malachi 3.6 says, for I'm the Lord and I do not change. Once again, this benefits us because God won't change his mind on you and kick you to the curb when he's done. When you're in Christ, you don't have to worry about God saying, yeah, you know what? I just I don't think I'm changed. I'm different. It's just different up here now. You know, we just we go through things and no, God is steady. God is consistent. Your friends may not be consistent and steady, but God will be always, every single time. Even in our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. You know, if things needed to change in 2018, God would have already known that. And he would have made the necessary adjustments. Right? If he's all-knowing and has foreknowledge, he already knows the end from the beginning. Look at the, when culture tried to dictate the, the truth of God's word. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot. Well, what happened in these days? The Bible says, in, in during Noah's day, every thought of per, a person's mind and heart was on evil continually. When we look at, at the, the, what happened with Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, it's very eerie when you see these things are literally taking place again. See, when a society decides to try to redefine truth, that society will end and, and cease to be in existence. They are just finding remnants of Sodom and Gomorrah now. So if you think about that, listen to this verse, Genesis 19, 4 through 5. But before they retired for the night, excuse me, my mouth is getting very dry. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? These were angels that came and slept in Lot's house. He said, bring them out to, bring them out to us so we may have sex with them. So there was this immorality. And they were sitting here, and these people were running rampant to the streets. They were basically partying on the outside of the street. They were destroying the city. And basically what was happening, there was a giant protest with picket signs. Not really. Probably not. Stone tablet signs. And it turned violent, and they begin to get violent in the city, not because Lot was judging them, but because the lifestyle of the righteous people were convicting the unrighteousness that was going on in the streets. Because this is what they said in Genesis 19.9. This fellow comes as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. You know what he said? They didn't say anything. Lot is in his house, and they're saying this. And he said, I'm not letting you in. You know, you can't have these people. And they're saying, who are you to judge us? Isn't that what happens today? When you, when, when, when it, you could just walk in a room and somebody will begin to feel convicted and all of a sudden they come for you. Or it could, you could have rampant immorality over here and anything goes, but when you say one thing about righteousness, oh, look, they'll all come together and come for you and try to destroy you. That is very eerie. Intolerance and anger towards righteousness is just as rampant today. We are living in the times of Noah and Lot. Psalms 119, 89 through 90. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. What God's word said thousands of years ago is still true today. It's like a giant cement tombstone block falling on a, you know, when you blow a bubble and it makes this little thing, right? And it lands on a summer day. That granite block smashes it to nothing. I don't know. I don't have the words to describe to you how much you can build your life on the truth. And how everything else is so insignificant and constantly changing. It's like a gnat going next to a 747 and saying, watch this. 
Archaeology bears this out. Truth is coming alive out of the ground. When you read your headlines right now in the newspaper, you are reading the future. Yesterday's prophecies are today's headline with motive in all. You could spend your entire life studying the Bible. You can pass it down from generation to generation to generation. And you should know that it will always be relevant. And what you are teaching your children, the ways of God, it will work in their day if it's a 100 years from now. See, we've lost the off factor of God. We've lost the off factor of his word. And even that shouldn't take us by surprise. You see, in the garden, it's the same situation. God said, you can have me, I'll give you everything you need, and Satan slithers in, and you can hear the hiss, and he says, come eat this. So Adam and Eve had to step over truth because they wanted to judge what was truth, what was good, right? The knowledge of good and evil, and that's been our problem ever since. That war in the garden is now the war in the soul. And if you think about it, as this thing progressed, God gives them an animal skin to cover themselves, which was what? A picture of Christ covering us. Then you have Cain and Abel. Cain decides this sacrifice is good enough. I'm going to give God this, which is the work of his hands, which is flesh or religion. And then you have him murdering his brother who was doing it right. What did the sacrificial system point to? Jesus dying for us. Then you have Noah. You go down the, down, down the line a little bit, you have every intent on evil, and then you have God saying, I'm going to save these eight people by an ark. Who do you think ark, the ark is? Christ. So there's always been a problem of stepping over truth, but there's always been a solution. And I'm here to tell you tonight, the solution is coming back. The ark is coming back. The question is, are you getting on when the trump sounds? Come on, you should be fired up. I am. I'm about to fall off this stage. Now listen, truth also commands us. Truth makes demands on our life. People don't like that. I don't mind it. I want to be ruled by the God of heaven and earth. I want my decisions to fit in God's, not his decisions fit in mine. Acts 17, 30 through 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he would judge the world by what? Righteousness. Remember, unrighteousness suppresses the truth, but Jesus is righteousness. And when we put our faith in him, we're righteous. So the Bible says that we pass from this and we pass judgment. In other words, we're not condemned. It says, righteous is by a man whom he appointed and that he has given assurance by raising him from the dead. That means the fact that that tomb is empty and we went there in, in uh, this past year. And guess what? He ain't there. So that's assurance to know that when you breathe your last, you will soar to mansions on high. Your body will go into the grave only to be resurrected at a later date at the rapture of the church. Matthew 27, 22 and 23, Pilate is faced with the truth. And this is what he says. Pilate said, what shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? And they said, crucify him. So once again, Jesus is brought out before the Jewish people. Pilate says, man, I find no fault in this man. So I'm going to put it back on them. And they said, crucify him. So another choice is needing to be made, and Pilate makes a choice. He turns them, turns them over. You and I have a choice. What are you going to do with this Christ who is the Savior, Jesus? See, it takes on a different meaning when you realize that you don't deserve salvation. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that. I don't deserve salvation. And if you know you, you know you don't deserve. I'm what I'm telling you. You in your in my in your heart. You saying, "Oh, that's right, absolutely." And if not, you're on the throne of your own heart. You see, it's not man-centered; it's God-centered. The glory of God is all that matters in this world. And the more that we glorify God, the Bible says, "If I be lifted up, 
right? Not me, not my circumstance, not my prayer list. When I say, God, you are the Lord of glory. You see what's going on here. I'm putting my faith in your abilities, and I'm just standing on your word. Your word says this should happen in this situation, but yet nonetheless, your will be done, not mine. And when you live your life, even when you go through the worst possible thing and you climb out of that ditch and you allow the Lord to raise you up and you glorify him, you will bring many to him. But if you sit in the corner in a crevice somewhere and suck your thumb and and say, woe is me. You know how I know that? I've done that. I'm telling you the truth. And God will say, listen. It's bad right now. I know it's it's horrible, but I'm going to use this situation for my glory, not for my glory, for his glory. And if you want to be used by God, if you want the anointing of the Holy Spirit, get ready to roll around in the mud a little while. There's nothing wrong with that. Because the more you go through, the more you will inspire people, the more people you inspire, the more people go to heaven, right? So when we come to Christ, it's not a prayer. It's, Lord, I'm in. I'm signing up for anything that hell can throw at me, anything that that you want me to walk through. I'm here for the glory as well. When you want to bless me with your power and your might, your, your ways, when I didn't deserve this, you allowed this to happen. I'm fine with that too. But nevertheless, every area in my life, I'm going to work on lining it up with the word of God because the word of God is absolutely true. And I trust your word. God's truth drowns out every opinion. You remember the, they were saying, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate's opinion was whatever you want. He heard their opinion. He went with what they said. What is God saying to you? Are you going to go with the opinion of the crowd? You might be the only one at, the, at your table for Thanksgiving that's born again. But guess what? God has put you there as the mouthpiece for that entire family to come to know him. Are you up for the challenge? See, it's, it's a high honor to, to walk in the grace and glory of God for his name, for his word, for his power. Amen? Well, I've been reading about people dying for their faith. I mean, it's amazing. The glory of God that is on these people as they walk to the stake. And that was reading, reading one about John Rogers. This man preached the gospel, and they said, Queen Mary, they said, all right, you want to preach the gospel? We're going to execute you. He had 10 children. He had one child that was that was in his wife's belly. He had been in prison. The baby was born. The baby came out. All the kids are lined up in the city street as he's walking to be burned alive at the stake in front of the whole community because she wanted everybody to see if you follow this teaching, if you follow his belief system, you will burn as well. And John Rogers kept his eye on, on, on that stake. He didn't look at his 10 kids. He didn't look at his baby baby that he had never seen before. He didn't look at the tears in his wife's eyes. He stayed focused and he said, I'm willing to die for what I believe. Where are we today in the most important time in history? There is no better time now for our light to shine. I don't mean to sound doom and gloom, but the Antichrist could pop his head up down the road. Who are we do? Who are we bringing into the kingdom? We are in the last of the last of the last of the last days. I know they've been saying that for years, but I can tell you 100% we are that close. There are prophecies that are being fulfilled by the day. The question is, are you and I ready to be used by God to draw your sword? But you have to know how to use it. You have to know how to swing it. Your arm has to be able to hold the thing and start swinging that thing at the enemy and not cradle it and say, well, it only works if I do it over here and it, it don't work over here. Don't do none of that. This sword will cut any devil's head off. It does not matter how big, small, fat, skinny, and I will swing it every time I see one. That's the backbone that we need to have, and you will get it by reading his word. And I'm going to close up here. I had seven and eight. <sighs> Seven is, I'll just tell you, it empowers you to live a godly life. That's what the truth does. You read it, and then it becomes part of you. 
And then you walk and you see the grace of God. You see the relationship that God has with us. You see the, the relationship we have with each other. How we're able, to, we're able to pull each other out of a ditch. And God determines the ditch. See, he, he tells us what to believe. He tells us where to go. He tells us how to respond. He tells us how to react. He tells you what to tell me. He tells me what to tell you. God is for us. This is not a country club like Pastor Todd said. This is an army of the living God. And if you get wounded, we also have an infirmary. But when you get wounded, we don't bandage you up so you can get back and just chill. We need you back on the field fighting the battle because the kingdom of darkness is getting darker. But your light is getting brighter. And those wounds that you receive will be the very fuel that gets you up out of bed and keep moving forward. Once again, I'm preaching to myself. Titus 2.11-14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us how to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord of glory, the great God, Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Listen, you are God's possession. When somebody says, oh, you trash, you're not this, you're not God, you're God's. Don't, don't, don't sit here and believe that. You belong to God. You are God's possession. And God, last I checked, don't own no trash. He makes the street out of gold. There's no trash cans in heaven. Amen. And number eight, truth will lead us home. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Amen. No treadmill, no planet fitness. No torture rack. We will be like Christ. And everyone who has this hope, amen. We have hope. Your circumstance, you might be walking into a death sentence. You might be walking into a, a, a doctor's report, a legal incident. You can look at that circumstance but keep your eyes focused on what's behind it, which is the hope of glory. And you can make it through anything that you go through because your eyes are fixed on Jesus in some kind of way. What I'm seeing right here fits into the perfect will and perfect plan of God. And his grace will get you through it. He will empower you. He will give you a testimony and you will do great and mighty things for his glory. Are you looking for his glory in your situation? I'm telling you, that makes all the difference in the world. That makes all the difference in the world. And many of you here know exactly what I'm talking about because it feels like you have been fed to the lions, right? But yet you walked out of that Colosseum. Amen? Can we stand? I just want to encourage you. The Bible is specifically saying in Acts, there is no salvation in anyone else. God has given no other name which man might be saved. So clearly, life application is this. Any other belief system, any other religion is false compared to the king of glory. And it's our responsibility as his body to see that in our loved ones, to see that in our friends and not be judgmental, but be loving to where they see what we have and they want what we have. Because listen, they can name Buddha. They can name no matter no matter who it is. You don't want to stand over that that hospital bed and say, well, God knows who they meant. No, it's Jesus alone. And he wants to use us to tell them that truth. And I believe that God's grace will be there, will empower, the, empower you to have the words to say. I've had to say them multiple times. And let me tell you something. It is a joy. I've never seen someone say, no, I'm going to stick with my God. 
Amen. Come on, you have the living word of God. You have the living word of God. Amen. Now I want to give you an opportunity. You might say, I don't know if I know who this Jesus is, but I want to know. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to lift your hand and say, Kelly, I need the salvation of Jesus Christ. You may be here and you may say, you know, I've been coming to church. I believe that's fine. We have a part for you as well. Come on, if you do not know Jesus, tonight is the night you can make it right. Amen. Praise God. I'm looking at a a room full of Bible-believing warriors for Christ. Father, we just come right now, and Lord, we ask. Come on, let's just join in prayer. Pray. I'll pray, and I want you to receive this. Lord, I ask that your word would come alive on the inside of every person here. From from the ladies that may be pregnant, Lord, that 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 word would get on the inside of them and be inside of that baby as that baby grows up in truth. Lord, I'm asking right now that every discouraged person, every person that is wondering if this is real, God, that you would invade tonight into their heart and the light bulb would go off and that living water would flood them, Lord. God, I'm asking that your spirit would begin to grow on the inside of them and in the place of discouragement and depression, God. Lord, I thank you that the light and the Lord of glory is shining on every person here. And Lord, I pray as they walk out of here, they will be able to say, I am changed. I am different because the word of God is living and active. And Father, I ask that you would give them the ability to draw their sword when it needs to be drawn. And Lord, I'm asking that you would allow them to walk in, in, the, in the, the body, in the blood of Jesus as he has given them all abilities, Lord, that they need. Lord, I ask that you would release gifts upon their life, God. Father, they would use their mouths, use their hands to heal the sick. Come on, do you believe that God can do that? Lord, I thank you right now that you are doing marvelous things in in their lives, in the lives of their families and their friends. God, we honor you. We thank you as a church body right now that we are living in your days, Lord. God, we acknowledge that you are our master and our Lord. And God, we thank you for what you're going to do in me. Amen. Make it personal. In me. In Jesus' name, we pray and ask. The church said, amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you need prayer, we'll be up here.